Joining us today on Superheroes of Science, we're pleased to welcome Catherine Searle. Catherine's an assistant professor in the Department of Biological Sciences here at Purdue University. So welcome. Thanks. Um, all right, so I'm going to share a screen and then I'm going to um, kind of talk about a few things today. So let's see. Get that going. Okay. Um, yeah, so I am an assistant professor in the biology department here at Purdue University. Um, and what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk a little bit about um, my kind of scientific journey, where I got to be where I am right now, and what got me interested in science. Um, and then I'm going to talk um, today about invasive species, which is one of the topics that my lab focuses on. Um, so to kind of go way back, um, I grew up in Port Orchard, Washington, which is um, a town in the Puget Sound of Washington State. Um, and as a kid, I really liked animals and I really liked spending time outside. <laughs> um, so this is a photo of me as a kid. We had chickens growing up, we had sheep, and I loved um, hanging out with the animals and being outside all the time. Um, but I wasn't really sure what to do career-wise with that. Um, I knew that I liked science and I liked biology, um, but I actually started undergraduate, um, my undergraduate degree undeclared because I just didn't know what to what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> um, and so I was generally taking science courses, um, kind of thinking biology, but not really sure what to do with that. So um, I went to UC Berkeley as an undergraduate. Um, and in my second year, I took a class that was called the biosphere. Um, and what it was, was it was kind of this combination of environmental science and ecology. And I learned that ecology is this really cool thing that I thought was really neat and that I wanted to study. Um, and uh, oops, oh, no, I'm um, so ecology kind of gets used incorrectly sometimes, but in the scientific world, ecology has a pretty specific definition. Um, and this is one of those, it is the study of the distribution and abundance of organisms. Uh, so essentially this is thinking about um, where organisms are, so where are they and how many there are. Um, and doing this generally in natural systems, um, but you can really think, use ecology to answer these kind of questions of where things are and how many there are in lots of different systems. So I got really interested in ecology, I declared a biology major, and then I also heard about this thing called research, which was like, oh, people are doing research around here, maybe I should see what this is about. Um, I actually didn't do my first research until I did a year abroad. So when I was, my, my junior year, I went to England and spent a year at the University of Bristol. Um, and there I saw an advertisement that was looking for volunteers for a research project and I, I signed up, it was the first thing I had seen and I was, it was working with foxes and I was like, well, that sounds, sounds cool to do. Um, so what I did was um, for that winter, I radio tracked foxes um, in the suburbs of this, um, the city of Bristol. Um, and what that involves is uh, you, they put collars around the necks of foxes and then I would go out with this giant antenna, like the one shown on the left here. Um, and whenever you're pointing the antenna in the right direction, you hear this pinging sound and you know where the fox is, it's that direction and you have to follow it through the night. Um, so this was the middle of winter, it was really cold, I always brought hot chocolate with me. <laughs> um, and I wasn't doing this out in forest though. These were suburbs of England, which looks like the photo on the on the bottom right here. So I, I was tracking them through, you know, I couldn't go in the backyards, but sometimes I would know, well, there's fox back there. Um, and I really liked, what I liked about this was that it felt like this hidden world of biology that everyone was sleeping and I was up at two in the morning tracking foxes through their neighbor, you know, through their backyards. <laughs> um, and that was really fun and the challenge of finding foxes and trying to hack them through the night was, was really fun and enjoyable. 
why were they tracking the fox? So they were trying to see, uh, there had actually been a big outbreak of mange in these foxes, which is this parasite that infects their fur, causes their fur to fall out, and um, they can die from that. And so um, there had been a big outbreak of mange, and they were trying to see how um, all the ranges of the species were shifting, so or, or the individuals were shifting. So um, as, as individuals died, they were trying to see who was taking over those ranges, because they're very territorial. Um, yeah, so it was it would actually had this link to disease that ended up being a theme to my um, later research that I was surprised about. <laughs> so then after that, I went, uh, I was looking for more research opportunities. And that summer I worked, um, I volunteered again to work at a, at a project that was looking at sea turtles in Cyprus. Um, and part of this was conservation focused because sea turtles are declining and not doing very well in the Mediterranean. Uh, but a lot of it was also research based trying to figure out how quickly the turtles are growing, what their reproduction is looking like, and trying to understand what the population is, is doing overall. So again, this was working late at night, but um, a much warmer climate, I'm walking along the beach, um, but still sleeping all day, working all night. Um, and again, this kind of hidden world of, of animals coming up on these beaches that were totally full of tourists during the day, and then um, empty at night for just these turtles. It was really cool. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that was, again, another awesome experience. Um, so then I went, that was all during my junior year in, in college, and then I went back to um, Berkeley for my senior year, and then I got involved in a research lab there that was doing community ecology. Um, and what I liked about this lab, again, was there were lots of different types of projects that people were doing there. So I did a lot of work in the lab, such with things like measuring and weighing samples from experiments or the field. Uh, but I also got to go out and help in the field. I worked in the intertidal zone off the coast of California. Um, and the picture on the right here is showing us a uh, field crew where we went down to Panama and worked in the mangroves um, down there. Um, so mangroves sound really cool, but you can see we have um, nets over our heads because there are things that will bite you everywhere. <laughs> like you yeah. can get bitten like crazy. Um, and it's also really hard going. So we, we were, um, we wore rubber boots, but almost always you would stick your foot in a hole halfway through the day and have a wet boot for the rest of the day. So um, it was hard work, but again, really cool. And, and with all these experiences as an undergrad, I just had such a broad exposure to different systems and different questions. Um, and that's one of the things I love about ecology is that you can, um, you can ask a similar question in lots of different places, or you can approach a question in so many different ways. So it kind of goes to me not really being sure what aspect of biology I loved. Ecology is one where you can take so many aspects <laughs> and approach an ecological question um, in lots of different ways. So I really like that. Yeah. That's really cool. So that was all my undergraduate work. Um, and um, just giving you my kind of academic history after that, uh, I went to Oregon State University after that and got my PhD. Um, and then I went and did what's this postdoc position. So those are positions that you take after you have a PhD, but before you begin as a faculty member. Um, and I did that for a year at Georgia Tech and then two years at University of Michigan. Um, and then I came here to Purdue about six years ago. Um, and I teach classes and I run my research lab as well. Um, and the work that I did starting in graduate school and going forward is what I'm going to mostly talk about today, the kind of theme of um, disease ecology and um, invasive species as well. Perfect. Okay. So any questions moving forward? I think you're going to get ready to answer all the okay. questions yeah. I was getting ready to ask. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. All right. So uh, what I'm going to talk about now is um, 
the focus on, I'm going to focus on invasive species and disease. Um, and invasive species are just one of the things that I study, but I'm going to talk generally about invasive species, what they are, why we care about them. Um, then I'm going to talk about how they can interact with disease and also what is disease ecology, this field that I'll, I'll mention several times. And then I'm going to talk about um, the work that we do in my lab and invasive species and how they can alter disease. So let's start with this first question. So what are invasive species and why do we care about them? So there are two kind of similar terms that are often used um, when we think about things that are um, non-native non species to an area. And the first is a broader term. So introduced species, um, sometimes called exotic species. Um, these are species that are not native to a particular habitat. So um, they're generally introduced by people to a new area, a new habitat that um, where they, they're not native, they weren't there originally. Um, and some of those species then can become invasive. So invasive species are a type of introduced species that gets really abundant um, in that invaded range and can cause harm. So it can cause environmental harm or economic harm. Mm -hmm. So not all introduced species become invasive, um, but all invasive species are introduced at some point initially. Um, so what are the effects of invasive species? Um, I mentioned they can have economic and environmental harm. These are just a few numbers um, estimated in the US that there's, they cost about $120 billion each year. Um, that's an actual old estimate now. It's about 15 years old, so it's probably higher now. Um, just as an example of how that can occur, um, in agriculture, we spend, we lose about $13 billion annually to invasive crop pests. So that's in controlling the crop pest as well as losing um, crops to the pests as well. So it's, it's trying to fight them and sometimes failing to fight them properly as well. So that's just one example of the ways that invasive species can Im influence the, um, the economy. Yep. Um, in natural systems though, there's lots of other effects. So uh, invasive species um, can affect native species by competing with them. Uh, eating them, and also altering infectious disease. So some examples of invasive species, um, one of the well-known ones in the Great Lakes, um, those are the zebra and quagga mussels. Um, this is a picture here where you can see that they can get really abundant um, and they can crowd out any of the species, the native species that might have been um, on these, these shorelines. Um, and initially, actually, when zebra mussels started um, becoming abundant in the Great Lakes, they were thought to be beneficial because they actually, they filter feed and they kind of cleaned up the, the lakes. Yeah. Um, and, and they still actually do that, but the problem is they're kind of, they're doing it a little bit too well now. And they've actually reduced um, the amount of algae in the water. And so that's having big effects on the whole food web, including um, altering even abundance of fish um, moving up the, the food web. So. Um, they're, they're also not great for shorelines, so you do not want to walk barefoot along a shoreline that looks like this. Zebra mussels are very sharp, <laughs> particularly so they can cut your feet. Um, so have a number of different types of effects um, on the Great Lakes system. Um, kudzu is a pretty well-known invasive plant species. It's particularly invasive in the southern part of the United States. Um, it, it was referred to once as the plant that ate the south. Um, because <laughs> it grows super fast. Um, and so it was actually introduced intentionally. So people brought it and planted it to um, reduce erosion, um, as well as planted it for just ornamental. So it grows really fast. So you can grow it apparently into nice archways in your garden if you want to very quickly. 
but it gets out of control super fast. Um, and it is in the, in the forest, it can choke out trees and kill trees and shrubs. Um, it can apparently pull down power lines, like the poles that hold power lines up and um, can be really bad for buildings as well if it's left unchecked. So um, kudzu is, it can really just grow fast and cover everything. Um, and then the final example I'll give you is um, white nose syndrome. So white nose syndrome is a disease caused by a fungus um, that was, and that fungus was introduced into the United States in the mid 2000s um, and it came from Europe. And since um, it has come here, it's killed millions of bats. I think the estimates are around five to seven million bats um, in the United States that this fungus has killed. Oh, um, wow. So this is an example of a pathogen uh, that was introduced to the United States. It's not native. Um, and because our native species are not used to it, they don't know how to, they don't have any, um, they don't have the proper response to it. Um, they, they're very susceptible and they can die fairly quickly from it. So something like that, was that one accidentally, I mean, the other, she said like they planted and stuff, but was this an accidental? Yes. Yeah, this is an accident. And I don't know, I actually don't know how it initially came in. Um, sometimes we don't know. Sometimes you can trace it back um, after the case, um, after the fact. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this one came into the US, but it was not intentional. Um, yeah. So this is an example of what we can consider to be an invasive pathogen. Um, so this is now I'm going to kind of transition to talking a little bit about infectious disease because a pathogen is a particular type of organism that lives in or on another organism, which we call a host, and feeds on its tissues. Um, so the host is that organism that gets infected. Um, so for example, if you um, get infected with the flu virus, uh, the virus is the pathogen um, and you are the host, right? And here that, the picture is showing kind of the diagram of that. We also, for flu, pigs can also be a host for that pathogen as well. Um, disease is a little bit of a different term. Disease sometimes gets confused with pathogen, but that's actually what happens after the host gets infected. It's basically how sick you get. You get. Um, so if you get the flu virus, you're infected with the pathogen, that virus, and you're the host, and the disease is how sick you feel, essentially. Um, and that gets us to this term of disease ecology. So um, I'm an ecologist, and um, I I really like studying all sorts of different things. And disease has been my focus, though, for the last uh, 15 or so years of my research. Um, and disease ecology is the study of host pathogen interactions from an ecological perspective. So it's ecological study of host pathogen interactions, thinking about, again, if you remember, ecology was the um, where organisms are and how many there are. So it's thinking about those two questions with hosts and pathogens. Um, and we can also think about how much disease is in that system too, how much disease is occurring, how often it's occurring and where it's occurring as well. Uh, I really like this field because it incorporates lots of other similar fields as well. So it incorporates information. So first of all, we can think about all of ecology can be involved in studying disease ecology. So thinking about any type of ecological interaction um, that can influence infectious disease. Uh, we can also learn from a field like medicine. So medicine has a goal of preventing or curing disease, mostly focusing on individuals. Um, so it's a different way to study disease. Uh, but we can learn a lot from medicine when we think about it um, in terms of disease ecology. Um, similarly, epidemiology is this field that is looking at more risk factors, like who's going to get infected, how fast diseases are going to spread. And it's usually focused on humans, 
But we can take a lot of that information and apply it to natural systems as well. So um, disease ecology often incorporates information, not just from ecology, but from things like medicine and epidemiology as well. I didn't know. I mean, I've heard of invasive species and I understand the, how they can be detrimental to the environment, but I had never thought about uh, the fact that there would be a pathogen or a disease that went along with that. And yeah. So that kind yeah. of a blow, when you had mentioned that and stuff, it kind of blew my mind that like, oh, wow, I, I, that's something I had not thought of. Cool. Well, I'm glad I'm glad I'm getting new ideas around. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't think I'm the only one that didn't consider that. <laughs> yeah, so there's actually a lot of ways that invasive species and pathogens can be related. So um, I'm going to show you some examples here. They've kind of done it like as a conceptual figure here. So um, here, what I'm, what I'm showing you is um, an invasive species. Let's consider this green frog here is an invasive species um, and it's in its native range. And in that native range, it has some kind of pathogen infecting it, showing by those dots there. Um, so when that species then goes into its invaded range, sometimes what happens is it actually leaves those pathogens behind. Um, so sometimes an invasive species will get to a new environment, its invaded range, with just a couple individuals. And just by chance, they might not be infected with these pathogens that are infected in, in their native range. So they lose these pathogens as they invade new areas because they're getting these like small populations to kind of bottlenecks of, of the population that go into these invaded ranges. Um, and what this is often called is enemy release. And so you have these species now that normally are getting infected with these pathogens, but now they're not in their invaded range. And that can actually help them be really successful. Um, and we call it enemy release because they're being released from their enemy of the pathogen. Um, this is not there anymore. So that's one way we can see that. Um, we can also sometimes have an invasive species that comes from its native range and like kind of like the example we mentioned before, brings its pathogens with it. Um, and if those pathogens can then infect here, I'm showing this yellow orangey frog is, is maybe a native species. Um, if that can infect the native species, then you actually have this invasive pathogen as well. So the invasive species, then you, you basically have two invasive species. You've got an invasive frog and an invasive pathogen. Um, so you're dealing with um, this, this little frog here, this yellow one could be then dealing with a competitor as well as a pathogen it's never experienced before. So it could be particularly bad for it. So those are some, a couple examples when we have a invasive pathogen or a pathogen of the invasive species. Um, just a couple other examples, because I think this stuff is really cool. <laughs> um, is, when you have an invasive species and a native species here, again, those yellow ones the, uh, in the native species, and here we might have a pathogen that's actually native to the, for the native species. And so what can happen is this invasive species comes on in, and if it can get infected, um, it can actually change disease for the native species and the native communities. So say this, this invasive species, this green frog here, is really good at getting infected and really good at transmitting disease. So it's like, it's a super host. Um, and maybe it, doesn't, maybe it doesn't die from infection. It just goes around and sheds it and transmits it to everybody. Um, that can happen and what we call that is amplification. So that can actually lead to more disease in the native species um, and that can be bad. Alternatively, it could be a really terrible um, host for this pathogen. So you could have this, maybe this host is what we call a dead end host. 
where the pathogen goes to it, tries to infect it, and maybe dies, or it doesn't ever really grow it up much. So it can actually like lead to kind of the pathogen going to that host and then dying and reduce the amount of disease overall. And we call that dilution. So when we talk about invasive species and disease, it gets really complicated because there's pathogens from the invasive range, pathogens in the native range, and there are all sorts of interactions that can occur um, and ways that invasive species can interact with them. So those are some examples of, of general ways things can occur. Um, I'm going to talk now a little bit about the two systems that I study um, in my lab here. Um, the one on the let's see, the one on the right, or sorry, left, is, a, is an amphibian pathogen system, and then the one on the right is a um, plankton pathogen system. Um, the, both of these pathogens and both these systems are, um, are their fungal pathogens, um, and they are transmitted mostly through the water, so through the aquatic environment. Um, these pathogens transmit through the water, find and infect their hosts that way. So I'm going to talk a little bit now about the amphibian pathogen, give you a little bit more background on this. So this is um, a pathogen. Again, it's a fungus. It has a very long um, name and not a good common name. So it's called Vitrachochytrium dendrobatidis. Uh, I'm going to call it VD. That's how we usually refer to it in our, in our field. Um, and again, it's, a, it's a, an aquatic pathogen. It transmits through the water. I'm showing its life cycle on the left there if you're interested. Um, and it has led to the die-offs of and extinctions of the species around the world. So we don't actually know where it originated. There's several strains around the world. Um, but we think that in many areas it was introduced, or maybe a new virulent strain was introduced that has led to some of these big declines. Um, but in terms of it coming from one particular area, we don't actually really know that still. Um, and this is a pathogen that has led to the declines of an estimated um, over 500 species. Uh, so all this, the individuals I'm showing you at the bottom here, these are all individuals from species where um, they have been infected in the field. Uh, and it includes all types of amphibians. So there are um, frogs and toads, salamanders and newts, and even, have you guys heard of Sicilians before? The limbless amphibians? So the picture at the, the second from the left over here, um, that is limbless amphibian. It's a Sicilian. They, they don't have any, they don't have any limbs, right? Um, they kind of look like worms, um, but they're amphibians and they can also get infected with this pathogen. Um, the interesting thing though too is that there's wide variation in what happens when individuals and species and populations get infected with this pathogen. So some seem to survive really well and some decline and die very quickly. And one of the species that's really tolerant of this pathogen is the American bullfrog. Um, now, if, if you are listening to this from the eastern part of the United States, which um, then that, so where we are right now at Purdue, <laughs> I don't know where the audience for all the, for this is. It's, they're all over. Okay. <laughs> so, well, here at Purdue um, in the Midwest and the eastern part of the United States, American bullfrogs are native. They're native species here. They are not native on the western part of the United States and throughout much of the rest of the world where they've been introduced. Um, and this is a species that's really tolerant of infection, meaning it gets infected, it gets really high levels of infection, and doesn't, um, doesn't usually die from it. Um, and so what that means is that it actually can transmit really well to other species and stop other species from coexisting with it. And to give you an idea of um, the range of it, so this is a map showing the um, 
original native range of the American bullfrog in purple, and then the invaded ranges in pink. So it used to not be on the western side of the Rockies, essentially. So it didn't make it over there. But people brought it over for frog legs, actually, the frog leg trade originally. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and it's been introduced um, throughout parts of um, South America, the Caribbean, um, as well as other regions around the world as well. So um, it's invasive in lots of areas. And again, it is really tolerant of infection, so it can spread disease. And we think that one of the reasons that this species has been so successful at invading, as well as um, why some native species have declined when this arrives is due to this pathogen. So it's, it's almost, people have called this kind of acting like a weapon almost, like it brings this pathogen with them as a weapon to like knock down the native species. Oh, wow. So yeah, any questions about this? The oh, it's, it's, that's very interesting. Yeah, it is. All right, and then, so I'll, show, I'll talk to you now really briefly about the other system I work on, and that is this um, Daphnia fungus system. Um, this one is um, what we consider Daphnia, these, uh, which are these tiny aquatic crustaceans to be model organisms. Um, so model organisms are organisms that are really good um, at, often really good at growing up in the lab or, or being reared in the lab um, and can be manipulated in various ways um, that other organisms are, it's more difficult to do essentially. Um, and so they're a model organism because they reproduce in the lab very quickly. They actually reproduce clonally. So they, you can get them to reproduce sexually or asexually. So you can kind of control genetic diversity and stuff like that. They also get infected with pathogens. So the picture on the right here is showing an infected Daphnia. The one on the left is uninfected, the one that has eggs in, um, you kind of see these eggs right here. Um, this one here is infected throughout her body with this kind of white um, fuzziness. And that is actually, um, a fungus growing inside her body. Oh. And so we use this as a model organism to understand um, some of these ecological principles. And one of the things we've been doing is trying to understand how um, an invasive Daphnia species might be altering disease for this native species. So um, here I'm showing you a picture of an invasive species and our native species. This is invasive to the Midwestern United States, um, Daphnia lumpulti. Um, and then the native species Daphnia dentifera is native around here, uh, around the Midwest. Um, the invasive species is, is super cool in the field. It actually looks more like this picture on the right, where it gets really long spines um, that prevent it from being eaten. Um, so you can imagine if you're a fish trying to, to find food, you don't really want to eat this um, one that looks more like a needle on the, on the right here. So, um, they're good at avoiding being eaten, and they also um, can, uh, they can reduce the densities of the native species. Uh, this, is the, oh, this is just a map showing the um, distribution of this invasive species. So all the maroon areas are watersheds that have um, this invasive species. And one of the things we've been doing is trying to understand where this species is, and we've also been doing experiments to try to figure out um, how it might influence disease in the system. Um, and so just really briefly, we did a study where we looked at, um, we exposed this invasive species to a pathogen that's native in our native species. Um, and we just use a standard exposure dose. And what I'm showing you here on this graph is the number that became infected, the proportion that became infected of, of the native species or the invasive species um, with each bar being a different, um, different clone. 
And so overall, we saw that the invasive species can get infected and get infected at higher rates than our um, native species. Um, and so now we're following up with studies um, to try and figure out then what this is doing for our native species, whether it's going to maybe what we call amplify disease by being a really good host and spreading it um, and kind of doing that, that example where we have the invasive species coming in and making disease worse for our native species. Mm -hmm. So this is stuff that's ongoing right now. So, um, but those are two examples of systems where we can think about disease and invasive species working together um, or, or interacting with each other essentially. So, and so you, you have to go collect samples in all those places then at different places? Yeah, so, well, we haven't gone throughout the full water, the full range of that invasive species, um, but we're looking around here and it's throughout more, it's throughout more of the Midwest than is shown in that figure, actually. It just hasn't been always reported um, there. Yeah, so just to summarize, though, um, the last thing I wanted to mention was um, invasive species and disease can have these interactions and uh, it can influence how likely an invasive species is to be successful. Um, and the effects that it has on native species, and then overall just disease risk. So it can change the risk of disease um, in these systems. Um, so those are kind of my take home messages for today that invasive species and disease can interact to influence um, all of these variables. Um, and we can study this in lots of different ways. And, and we're doing that, we're looking in the field, we're also doing experiments, um, and we're also looking at genetics as well. There's all sorts of fields that can be used to try to understand these general questions.